So, the sermon here that Jesus really, it goes all the way to chapter 7. Okay, it's, it's a long teaching by him. Uh, I personally don't like the, the name Sermon on the Mount because it's more of a rolling hill. And for you guys who go with us to Israel in a few years, we're going in 2020, you're, you're going to see that. It's more like a natural amphitheater is what took place here where the setting was where Jesus got to teach uh, these men, um, his disciples, those he's called to follow. Um, so it's there along the Sea of Galilee. Um, you know, maybe some other names for the sermon could have been a mountain of a sermon rather than the Sermon on the Mount or a sermon of the monarch or uh, the kingdom uh, manifesto or it could be called the constitution of Jesus' kingdom or maybe it's the portrait of Jesus. There's so many different names. It's just a phenomenal teaching. How can we give it any name, you know? So, hey, let's just call it the Sermon on the Mount. <laughs> I'm just thankful it's there. No matter what we want to call it, I'm just glad that this was put down for us to be able to enjoy together 2,000 years later. So it really starts off with the Beatitudes. And I want you guys to catch it because it's not the do attitudes. It's the be attitudes. As a Christian, as a born believer in Jesus Christ, this is who we are. This is the way it should be. It's not something we do. It's something we are. Does that make sense to you guys? You know, like my overall prayer for you, my church family, my brothers and sisters, is that we would just be free to be who God's made us to be. You know? It's not about all these rules and regulations. I have to do this. No, we get to love God. We are free, okay? Not to be what the world's trying to make us be. What we're told we're supposed to be. We're free to love God, to love others, and just do whatever he's called, whatever your plan is. It's beautiful. So, as we consider this, it's, it's who we should be more than what we should do. So we'll also see a beautiful progressiveness unfold as we begin going through the Beatitudes. We're only going to look at one this morning, but as we go through the next few weeks, you're going to see just how in, like, godly inspired these truths are because they all work together and there's a progression that takes place for you and I as we go through this. So when Jesus opens his mouth, we should open our ears and our hearts. Amen? It's kind of like the, uh, with Samuel, uh, you know, we, we want to declare with him, right? Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. That's the type of heart that we should have every time we come before the Lord's word. That in our listening, may we understand, Father, and in our understanding, may we have wisdom from you on how to live. That where we go, that it's with you and how we live, it's with you. And as we follow you, that we would do that well, no matter where you lead, wherever you lead. I mean, that's, that should be our heart as we come before the Lord's word. We should be in that constant place of prayer. I don't know if you guys read the word and study the word in prayer. That's when it's good. <laughs> That's how we should approach it. So as we consider the Sermon on the Mount and these Beatitudes here, I want to share real quick before we jump into it what it's not. Okay, This is not God's plan for salvation. We don't open up here and this is how you get saved. No, <laughs> this is to believers. 
nor is it a charter for world peace. If we just do this, then finally everything's going to be good here on planet Earth for all humanity. It's not that either, nor is it applicable to the future literal 1,000 year reign of Christ. Okay, There are some commentators out there that just need to stop commenting on the word of God Anyways, sorry. In certain <laughs> on the mount here, it is definitely for us as believers and it is applicable for you and I today. There's application for us. So, the truths that we're going to read about are repeated over and over again in the New Testament. And you guys have been studying the word for a while. You're going to start going through these. You're going to be like, yeah. I know the New Testament, the epistle here talks about this. And this epistle speaks to that too here. It's just all over the New Testament. I want you guys to flip to chapter 7 real quick because I want to see Jesus' own ending to the Sermon on the Mount. Okay? And whom he says this is for. Who is it for? Have you guys ever had anybody tell you, why do you bother going to church? Why are you reading that old book? You know, that isn't for us today. You know, that was for them. Why are you even reading the Sermon on the Mount? Wasn't that just for Jesus' disciples? Well, let's take a look at what Jesus has to say here. Matthew chapter 7, jump down to verse 24. It says, therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, so whoever hears and does them, I will liken him as a wise man who built a house on the rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the wind blew. And it beat on the house, and it did not fall. For what? It was founded upon the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does, or does not do them will be likened to a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on the house, and it fell, and great was its fall. What a privilege we have for the word of God. But are we going to take the word of God? Are we going to believe it? Are we going to appropriate this by faith? Are we going to mix it with faith? Are we going to apply these things to our lives? You see, let's go back to chapter 5, starting the Beatitudes. So this is for us. Do you guys see that? Jesus says, whoever reads, okay? Um, it's not just for the millennium. These guys? Okay, literally, I read five or six commentators that say that the Beatitudes are for the kingdom to come. Okay, and I don't know where they're coming from. Doesn't make sense. Jump down to verse 10 real quick. We'll get, we'll get to the beginning. I just want to make this clear. Okay, look at verse 10 and 11. Okay, these verses wouldn't be here if it was for the millennium. It says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteous sake. Who's going to be persecuted for righteous sake during the millennium? That is taught nowhere in the Bible, okay? For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. In verse 11, blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. So are we clear? <laughs> this is for us today. Amen? Okay, good. Um, so this is not a second law, the Beatitudes for us, okay? It's not a second set of commandments. This goes much deeper than the law. Some of us study the scriptures. Some of us want to go back to the law. 
Okay, and I know why people have that tendency. I have to keep all these festivals and Sabbaths and days and celebrations and, and you know, all these rules and regulations and the Sabbath and all this stuff. But the reality is these Beatitudes, they go a lot deeper than the law ever did. It takes a Christian to a deeper level <laughs> than the law ever could. It's the internal attitudes. It deals with what's going on on the inside as well as our outward actions. You see, the law just deals with what we do outwardly. <laughs> it doesn't impact us in here. Only God can do that. And as we get into these beatitudes, the attitudes, these internal things, it is so far beyond <laughs> what we can do in our flesh. And that's why people like the law, because it's easier. It's something I can do myself. No, this is something only God can do, and that takes humility, which we're going to get into in a second here. So note also, it demands, uh, the, the demands of the Sermon on the Mount here, um, yeah, they go so much deeper than the law of Moses. Okay, only a true believer can put the Sermon on the Mount into practice. So we go through this and it's not clicking, it's not making sense, you probably really need to evaluate yourself if you're really born again. Do you really believe? Have you been regenerated? Okay. So, um, actually let's go to Romans 8 real quick. Sorry, I promise we're going to get into the Sermon on the Mount. Let's go to Romans 8 together. Some of you guys might be like, I don't know if that's true. Really? This teaching is greater than the law? It goes deeper? Well, Romans 8 lays this out for us very clearly. Now Romans 8, we'll take a look at the first uh, eight verses together here. I love how Paul laid this out, gives us understanding. It says in verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Don't you guys love that? Sometimes we'll condemn ourselves. We feel so guilty or shameful. If you are in Christ, there is no condemnation. Now catch, it says, those who walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God did, right? He did this by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, okay? On account of sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. Verse 4, that the righteous requirement of the law, catch this, what does the law require? Well, the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but what? According to the Spirit. <laughs> I love it. For those who live according to the flesh, they set their minds on what? Just the things of the flesh, the things of this world. Self-centered things. But those, it tells us, who set their mind on things of the Spirit, um, uh, or live according to the Spirit, set their th minds on things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded, it is death. But to be spiritually minded, it is life and peace. And I think we all want life and peace because a carnal mind is, at, is enmity or is at war with God, literally at fighting against Him, okay? For it's not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. It can't be. Do you guys get to the point that he's making? It doesn't work. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. And a lot of people think, look at me. I'm keeping the law. Look at all I'm doing, all this outward stuff. God says, I don't care. I care about what's going on inside. Where's your heart at? Where's your mind at? 
That's what he cares about. So you guys get that point? It's clear here in Romans. I want us to get that as we jump in to the Sermon on the Mount. So let's go back to Matthew chapter 5. We can really look now at the sermon, I promise. Look at verse 1. It says, And seeing the multitudes, he went up on the mountain, and he was seated with his disciples. Okay? He was seated, and his disciples came to him. So who's there up on the mount? Him, his disciples come. Then he opened his mouth, and he taught them, saying... Now, we're going to jump into the Beatitudes, but real quick, I want to parallel. There's an account of Beatitudes that we find in Luke's Gospel, chapter 6, verses 17 to 23, but they seem to be different from those that we read here in Matthew chapter 5. Contradiction? No. (laughs) Okay? Um, Again, I read some commentators this week. I just don't... (laughs) Just read the Word, guys. Ask the questions. Pray through the things. Um, There's differences uh, that we see given the location for one place. This is on a mount in Luke's account. It tells us it's a level place. The content, both have different content that the others don't. And if you look at the two different ones, the listeners are different. Because here we have the disciples. In Luke's account, there was a multitude and the disciples are with him. Okay? So there are definitely different, probably two different accounts. I know as a teacher, there's a lot of times that I teach same principles or scriptures, passages the same way that I would do it here and then maybe at a conference over there or something. So that's what we see going on. So if the world wrote these, okay, beatitudes, um, they'd probably, you know, sound something like, blessed are the, the healthy, right? Or blessed are the wealthy, or blessed are the beautiful. Or blessed are those who can throw, you know, a pig skin. Because they'll make $27 million this next year. <laughs> That's how the world would want to see things. You know, blessed are you because you got a fun southern accent, James, and people think it's cool. You know, it's just goofy. You guys ever see, hear that? You know, it's just, I, I always, you guys get the point, right? It's so contrary to what God has to say. He tells us in verse 3, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Really? That's going to be the first thing (laughs) that you teach Jesus. Blessed are the poor in spirit. That sure doesn't go with what I'm being taught in this world. You got to go get it yourself. It's all about what you're going to make of yourself. And you're telling me here to be poor in spirit? Blessed. Okay? Um, means happy. If you're happy and you know it, clap your hands. Right? Can we do that again? If you're happy and you know it, clap your hands. There we go. A little better. So Jesus' first teaching, probably his first sermon ever. So his first word, if this is really his first sermon, do you guys catch what his first word is? Blessed. Right? Makaros in the Greek. It was first found, if you look back, it goes back to the 5th century B.C. by Pondar. It's an ancient Greek lyric poet guy, uh, Thebes. Um, It was found there. And at first it was used only for the Greek gods. They would only use this happy, this word blessed, 
for them, okay? Homer uses um, makar only eight times in reference to men. So Homer said it denotes a transcendent happiness that's beyond care, labor, and death. So it denoted a state of God-like blessedness. That's how it was originally used in the Greek. Later, it meant to become rich, okay? Blessed, happy, I have, right? Uh, and it becomes a uh, leading uh, philosophical term of inner uh, peace, inner happiness, inner fulfillment, inner blessedness. That's kind of where it landed when Jesus is using the word. So he's talking about that inward, not an outward happiness that comes by your circumstances. Like, oh, I won the lottery. Yippee, skippy. Finally, someone's willing to marry me. You know, it's not that, okay? <laughs> it's an inner peace. So it has to, it has to do with the weather inside. So what is the cold, where's the coldest place you guys have ever been? Wisconsin, right? You ever talk to people? You live, oh, it's like the frozen tundra up there. It's so cold up there, you know? Yeah, it gets cold, and the cold is, you know, can be a bummer, but it can also be a blessing. I think about the coldest I've ever experienced. I think I was in junior high. They canceled school multiple days in a row because gas lines were frozen. They couldn't even drive kids <laughs> to school. It was like 20 below, and the windshield was something ridiculous, 60, 70, you know, below zero, you know. And hey, it was okay because we threw on a bunch of layers and we went and played on some phenomenal ice. We played hockey. It was a day off of school. Let's go play. It was awesome. But the reality is for the Christian, what's going on inside? Okay, it's not the external going on. So, um, blessed are the poor in spirit, right? For theirs is the kingdom of God. Good example of the believer in Jesus, right? It doesn't matter what the temperature is outside, okay? What is being controlled on the inside? What's going on there? So everyone is pursuing happiness, okay? Everybody is. Go on Amazon. Look at the best-selling books out there, Okay? And I bet you're going to see happiness in the title. My current read right now is Spiritual Wisdom for a Happier Life. Okay? Um, how your eight key emotions can work for you. I'm enjoying this. Okay? Mark Baker, he's, a, he's got his doctorates in a few things. He's a theologian and a psychologist. And I'm enjoying it. Very scripturally based, you know? Um, but that's one of those things Christians are even looking for happiness but I read here, we are happy. <laughs> Why? Because we are poor in spirit. We should be. If we're proud Christians, I don't know if that even works. God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. <laughs> we need to be in this place of being poor of spirit. And the reason I picked up this book is our youth group is going to be going through uh, a series just on mental illness. What do the scriptures have to say about this? Why is there so much depression and anxiety even among Christians in the world today? How do we address that? I did six years of chaplaincy work in the jail, and a big part of it was dealing with mentally ill. And in that, man, a lot of these people, for the first time in their life, found true happiness, was set free from torment, and it was in the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is him that set him free. They finally had right thinking 
And that's our problem, guys. Aren't we told in the scriptures to renew our minds? That's how we get transformed. But Christians, there's times where we only get a little bit of this, but we're taking in how many hours a week of what the secular world has to say. Of course there's going to be a battle of the spirit and the flesh. And there's going to be times where we're feeling like the flesh is taking over. It's all about me. This is what I need to do. This is what the world's telling me to be. This is how I should look. This is what I should say. This is how I need to be politically correct. How dare I do it? You know, this is how we're living. Instead of just coming before the Lord, what do you say? What is right? So, um, if you think about it, our Constitution guarantees us the pursuit of righteousness, or happiness, right? I wish it was righteousness was in there too. <laughs> the pursuit of happiness, you know? But that seems like it's being taken away, <laughs> okay? But it's there, and I'm thankful for it, because why? We're able to do this this morning. We have this freedom that we enjoy in this country, that we can open up the Word of God and actually read truth. And the truth is, Jesus has made a pathway for us to be happy. He is that pathway that leads to happiness. And he, by his spirit, allows us to have right attitudes. Okay? That we will find happiness. True happiness is our birthright as a member of the family of God. I really believe this. The world's superficial happiness, which depends on circumstances. Do you guys have friends that are just up and down? You never know where they're going to be at? You know? stuff. You guys know I struggle with depression. Okay? But I can tell you, I have a genuine happiness and joy just because I'm in Christ. Even though I feel this way, and it's so hard, because talking to people or even reading books <laughs> on that kind of stuff, as a Christian, I'm like, but you don't understand. <laughs> you don't know where I'm coming from. You don't know what's actually going on inside. Okay? I had someone this last week at the pantry. Well, this last week, Wednesday was the worst day I had all week. You know, but I had somebody say, Pastor, every time I see you, you are so happy. You're just always happy. You know, and I'm just, I, I receive that. I'm like, you know, you're right. Even though I feel down and beat up at times and defeated, I am happy because I know Jesus. You know, even though I struggle, <laughs> I'm able to come back to what's true. I can come back to what his word says, what his promises have been made to me and stand upon his word. Do you guys know that? That's something that we have as believers that the world just doesn't have. And we have a hope to share with them. So, let's look at the first step of happiness together. So we'll look at the role and the reward here of each. The role really is blessed are the poor in spirit. That's what we're called to. That's what God is asking of us. He's not, he doesn't start with some self, you know, assertiveness, aggressiveness, some confidence or, you know, esteem, you know, yourself stuff. No, he starts with what? Poor in spirit. That's where God starts. That's where we should start, right? To be poor in spirit. It's not those poor, you know, in the pocketbook, okay? But those who realize that there's a spiritual poverty. Do you realize that? Most people don't. I'm good. I'm okay. I'm going to heaven. Everything's all right. Really? You know? Um, how many guys know who Dietrich Bonhoeffer is? Okay. 
Love him. Encourage you guys to read his stuff. I gave my dad uh, Life Together by him. It's a book he wrote for Christmas. He just finished it. Loved it. And I'm like, gl I'm glad there's some other books he wrote. But he was a young Lutheran pastor, uh, philosopher, theologian. Uh, he, he opposed uh, Hitlerism. And he led, um, which really actually uh, led him to death. He, he, before uh, Hitler was overthrown, four days before Hitler was overthrown, he was put to death for being a Christian and uh, coming against the cause. Anyways, uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer said concerning the disciples, catch this, he says, they have no security, no possessions, no real estate, no earthly society to claim their absolute allegiance, no spiritual power, experience, knowledge. They were unlearned and ignorant they lost all, everything that could make them rich. They even lost their own selves. They have no other hope but in him who called him. Okay? I think that's a great description of spiritual poverty, to be poor in spirit. Do you understand that? Do you see your great spiritual need? We want to make everything about the temporal, the here and now, the physical, my circumstances, am I comfortable? No. What God wants is, do you see that you're spiritually bankrupt? Do you see that you need me? Do you see that you've been created for me, to glorify me, to have relationship with me? So many people don't even care and don't even want to think about that part that reality. And that's the eternal thing. That's the thing that is real and that's going to go on forever. So, poor in spirit is the opposite of being prideful in spirit. Guys, remember King Saul? He said in Samuel, honor me now, please, before the elders of my people, before Israel, and return with me that I may worship the Lord your God. So his pride made him a slave. If you study his life, it was his pride. Though he, he was a king, he was not a king over Israel. Israel was a king over him. Okay, that's what was going on. And that's what happens with so many today because of their pride. So blessed are the poor in pride. You guys getting what Jesus is saying here? So those who aren't proud of their ancestry, that was a big thing for the Jewish people, aren't proud of their social status, aren't proud of their nobility, aren't proud of their class. You see, this beatitude speaks of emptying, while the rest are a manifestation of fullness. So we can't be filled, right, unless we're emptied. That's just common sense. How many of you guys pray, God, empty me? <laughs> Just empty me. Take it all. Clean me out. Okay? Get all the junk. <laughs> Take it. And fill me back up with yourself. Fill me up with you. Why? Because that's what it's all about, guys. It's all about Him. And when we're filled up with Him, there's going to be an overflow of Him. What do you want the world to see? What does God want to see? I want an overfill, you know, filling of the Spirit of God in my life. It brings Him honor. It brings Him glory. And it's really good for us. Why? Because that's where we find happiness. That's where we find peace. You know, yesterday at men's prayer, I just brought up, I want to I be done with Facebook. <laughs> I want to be done with the stuff of this life. <laughs> Making myself look good. But it's a great tool for ministry. It's just one of those things, who cares? What is God calling you to? 
That's all that matters. He's calling you to himself to be with him. <laughs> you know, that's it. Martin Lloyd-Jones, how many of you guys have heard of him? All right, I enjoy him. He's a good read, good commentator. Uh, this one, he said, is speaking about the, the Beatitudes. He says, this one is first because it is obviously the key that, or to all that follows, okay? So the point of being poor in spirit, it is important. That is the first attitude we're to have before anything else, before we try any other attitude. <laughs> this is where it starts. So the poor in spirit is humility. That's where it starts. God gives grace to the humble. That's where it starts. If you're resisting him, if you are proud, I got it together, God. Look at me. Look at how great I am. Look how religious I am. Look how many scriptures I know. <laughs> you know? If you're in that place of being proud, you're going to miss out. God resists that. God hates that. I mean, if you study the scriptures, God hates religion. He really does. It's gross because of what we've done to it. We've made it to be something that it's not because we make it something to be about us. And you see that. Anyways. Um, yeah, poor in spirit. Poor in spirit. Let's turn to Luke together real quick. There's one little scripture. I was just going to reference it, but I want you guys to be able to mark it in your Bibles because I think it's one of the best examples of humility that we find anywhere in Scripture. Luke 18. Jump down to verse 13. You guys can read this parable later to get the whole context around it. But poor in spirit, I see in this tax collector. Look at verse 13. And the tax collector, standing afar off, he couldn't even come, come near, okay? Didn't feel worthy, right? He's in this place, this tax collector, standing afar off. He would not so much even raise his eyes to heaven, but he beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Okay? I think that is a beautiful picture of being poor in spirit. Hard. <laughs> Be merciful to me, a sinner. I know who I am. I know what I've done. I know that I've disobeyed, that I've broken your commandments, that I've fallen short, that I'm a sinner. Please be merciful. Be merciful to me. So how we walk really with the broken speaks louder than how we sit with the great. You see, it's when I realize that I don't have it in me to make it, to be accepted by God, that I don't have it in me to change this thing I see inside of me. I don't have love that I need, that I don't have the strength that I need, that I don't have the faith that I need. And I have calculated everything. And you know what? I come out zero. <laughs> so since nothing's here, I better look up to him for everything. Does that make sense? It does. And that's why Jesus starts here. But some people don't like that. Some of you guys don't like what I'm preaching right now. It's rubbing you the wrong way. But there's a blessing when you grab this truth, this reality. 
you will find happiness in this. Because truly, when you are emptied of yourself, you get over yourself, you're going to find him. And that's really where true happiness lies, guys. That's truly where blessing is found. It's in Christ our Lord. So, how happy is that person that grabs this? So pre-Jesus, what did we idolize, guys? Ourselves, right? It's all about us. But we can't make it ourselves. The emptying of ourselves is the only way to get into the kingdom. The kingdom is for those who have gotten rid of themselves, have given up themselves, and have realized, I need to turn to Jesus. I need him. That's what repentance is, right? Didn't we read last week? He came preaching the kingdom of God. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. What? You want me to turn to you? <laughs> yeah. That's it. It's done turning to self. No one can save themselves. It doesn't happen. You know, I wish that many of the pulpits <laughs> today, Sunday morning, would just open the Bible and actually read what God says. Because religion, denominations say, this is on you. You want to make it to heaven? You do this and that. They're lying. They're lying to people and leading them astray and they're going to end up in hell. Because they've put it all on themselves. No, it's all Jesus. So, this speaks to one who realizes their own spiritual poverty and then puts all their trust in God's ability then to supply the spiritual need. It makes sense. A lot of you guys are like, I get this. I know this. But we got to live it. <laughs> we got to do this. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It's being aware of your spiritual poverty and of your need of divine help. Maybe we can say, happy are the beggars, right? Spiritually speaking, happy are the beggars because whatever they need, their Father is going to give them that need, okay? So we're just a one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread, okay? I think that was Bunyan that said that, right? I'm not sure. Anyways, I love that though. <laughs> we're just one beggar telling another beggar where to find the bread. And Jesus is the bread of life, guys. He's what we need. So do you want everything that heaven has? Do you want that? I absolutely do. I do. I long for heaven. I can't wait to get there to be with Jesus. I can't wait. And there are spiritual blessings. I like being blessed. I don't know about you guys. How many of you guys like being blessed? I sure do. And the older I get, man, and the more I'm refined by the Lord, my thinking is aligned to His the things I'm blessed by in life have changed a lot over the years. They've become a lot simpler, <laughs> a lot more pure, easy, thankful. <laughs> you see, God says, what? <laughs> You've come to the end of your rope, <laughs> the end of your wealth, the end of your health, the end of yourself, and now there's only me? God likes that. Yeah. I see that. It's you. <laughs> That's it. I only have you. <laughs> Great. I'm going to give you everything you need. That's where God wants us. Everything you need. We had our taxes done up this last week. And it was so cool. Just a blessing. It's the least I've made in about 10 years. 
And we're looking like, how in the heck did we make it? And we just began to recount just God's faithfulness, His goodness. And it's just like, thank you, Lord. You are good. You are faithful. You keep doing this and doing that. And it's so easy to delight in Him. And sitting here just talking, like, we've been blessed with so much. We feel like we're filthy rich in so many ways. And it's not about the earthly stuff, guys. It's just the blessing in it. And again, I told you before, the blessings of happiness seem to be found in other things. You know? And it's so cool that these other things are happening. <laughs> you see, you need, uh, you need to be in this place of being poor in spirit. Okay? Sometimes we find that, you know, we're asking God for that wisdom. We're asking maybe for that job, maybe for a healing, and you're going to trust in me. He said, you're going to trust in me. You're looking to me. You're asking of me, okay? Because you're at the end, and that's beautiful to God. Do you guys understand that? That delights him when we're in that place. But I don't, I don't find myself in that place because I can do it myself. Isn't that our mentality? You know, be honest. How many of you guys ask God to heal a headache before you go grab a box off the shelf and open up the Tylenol and pop a pill. I'm guilty of it. And I catch myself sometimes like, oh man, stressed out. Why do I got this headache? And I'm grabbing the bottle. And I catch myself, I haven't asked you, God. <laughs> I'm sorry. You know, I'm not saying it's wrong to take that. What a blessing to have the medication. But I think that's our mentality a lot of times. We'll do it ourselves before we ask him. And there has been times where I have asked and the headache's just gone, you know? So it's a beautiful thing. God wants us to be dependent upon him. You guys remember the Israelites in the wilderness when they went through the land? God said to them, I'm going to bless you and your land and your crops. It's going to be abundant. And you're going to have milk. You're going to have honey. And you're going to have a lot more. But please don't forget, I'm the one who gave you everything. Otherwise, that very blessing that God, uh, you know, has given, it's going to become a trap, and you will trust in them instead of me. You'll lose poverty of spirit. So when you were in the wilderness, you didn't know where to go, and I brought you through the Red Sea. I led you by a cloud by day, and by a pillar of fire by night. You had nothing. I sent you manna every day. Every morning you woke up with nothing and you depended it upon me. And look how I took care of you. And now watch it. Because as I give you other things, other blessings, they may become a substitute for me. And instead of trusting me and having poverty of spirit, you're going to walk around saying, look at my farm. Look at my land. No, you're going to say, look at my God. Look at my provider. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So how many want to live their life every day to the end of themselves. Did you wake up that way today? Not me. <laughs> I've been crucified with Christ. I'm going to 
bear my cross today. I'm going to follow after you, Jesus, denying myself. So that's our role. You guys seen that, our part? The attitude we should have? It's a good place to be in. Why? Because God really does get the glory then. And that's what it's about. Now let's look at the reward. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This isn't for salvation, guys. That's not what God is saying here. There is the kingdom of heaven, present tense. Do you guys understand that? I did a teaching a while back on, I forget what I called it, the upside down kingdom or something. Just the kingdom reality. Okay, um, it'd be a good one to listen to. But there is the reality of the kingdom in the present tense. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven, he says. So we'll reign as kings as we submit as servants. Okay, it's paradoxical, I know, but that's how God rules as you study scripture. And it works, right? It makes sense. His ways are upside down. His kingdom is upside down. Okay? The least is going to become the greatest. <laughs> really? We're to live in this kingdom reality. We're to be about kingdom business, right? Isn't that why we're here? What we're to be about? Absolutely. So this paradox in the Christian life is we surrender, okay? And really to surrender properly, there has to be a genuine humility, a genuine brokenness. A truth of seeing who we are and who he is. We just need to be honest of that. So, when we surrender, we do this that we might reign. Do you guys understand that? That's what the blessing that Jesus is laying out for you and I. That is the reward of it. And again, it's not about that. It's about him. Okay? I think it's cool. We're going to come back Priests, kings, ruling and reigning with Christ. That's going to be pretty cool, I think. But the cool part is, we're doing it with Jesus. That's all I really care about. I don't really care what I, you know, I'll scrub the toilets as long as I get to be with Jesus. <laughs> you know? I just want to be with him. He's the treasure. He is it. He is the blessing. So great. <laughs> but I'm not a Christian. What do I do? You repent. <laughs> That's the only way any of this works. Any of these beatitudes is are you willing to turn to the Lord? The Bible says anyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Okay? But you've got to call Him. Lord, you're the Master. You're my King. You're my Savior. I need saving. It's just that true humbleness, brokenness, crying to Him. And when you do that, when you say, I'm all in, God. <laughs> I'm bankrupt. I got nothing. It's you and you alone. You are Savior. Be my Savior. When you humble yourself, you count the cost, and you say, I'm all in. You're in his family. That's a faith thing. It's that simple. And that's when you are able to enter in to the blessings that we find here in being poor of spirit. Okay? We've been given so much, and what I'm hoping over the next few weeks is we just take each one of these Beatitudes, is that we'll take some time to actually think through it. Because shame on us. There's so many Christians. I'm very familiar with this passage. I even memorize the Beatitudes, but they don't get the Beatitudes. It's good to take a little bit of time and really to think through, to chew on these things. 
and hopefully take it with us. All right. <laughs> I see this reality of being poor in spirit. And if I'm honest, I'm pretty darn prideful. God, work on me. Help me. Change my heart. <laughs> change my thinking. Break me. He wants to work with us. Do you guys know that? He wants to work with us. I don't want to be, we just finished Daniel with the Thursday morning men's Bible study. He put down King Nebi because he was a prideful dude. Made him like an ox. Okay, going around on all fours. He humbled him. Put him down. He's eating the grass like a wild beast. <laughs> I don't want God to do that to me. But he will. And how many has he put down? Anybody in here, has he put you down? That he could pick you back up? Absolutely. And I'm thankful he does. But I'm sick of learning the hard way. <laughs> I really am. I did that a lot as a young man. <laughs> and it got to a point, I'm sick of it. <laughs> and I started taking this serious. Okay? <laughs> I don't need to learn the hard way anymore. I don't need to go through the experience myself. Because I'm learning you're right and I'm wrong. I'm just going to listen. I'm going to take it in. So I'm hoping you guys take it to heart this morning. There's a blessing that comes with being poor in spirit. Amen? Amen. Would you guys stand with me and we'll close in prayer. Yeah, Father, we are thankful for our time together in your word this morning. And I believe, as we asked before, <laughs> that you would speak. Lord, your servant is listening. God, I pray that you keep us listening. Keep us in tune to your spirit. God, it's so easy to come to your word, to receive truth, to get excited about it. But then we take off and we so quickly forget. Would your Holy Spirit, Lord, in your kindness, would you just please bring to remembrance, Father, the things that we're learning, these truths from your word, which has told us that we are blessed if we are poor in spirit. We want to be broken. We want to be humble, Lord. I believe that's something that can be learned. And we just ask that you'd help us to do it. Teach us, Father, what that looks like. Deepen these truths. Let us grab a hold of these practically. That we'd be able to really change our thinking, change our attitudes. Father, just do what you want to do. And we know a huge part of this is that you're going to have to come and rearrange our hearts. So we're just inviting you to do so, Father. Help us to walk in a way that really does please you and honor you. Help us to treasure you, Jesus, more and more every day. We ask in your name. Amen? Amen. Amen.